Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Ian Kadish of the Minnesota Twins Organization. Now, before we jump into this week's show, I want to give you a quick recap and overview of the week that was, starting with the fact that fall sports are officially done. Kendall finished up softball last weekend. The big man finished up soccer this weekend. Uh, I think I would be lying <laughs> if I said he was like super jazzed to play soccer this year. I'm not totally sure what happened. He loved it last year, did great at the start of this year, but the interest really waned as the season went on. So, you know, you kind of roll with the punches in that regard. And I think the last game, he had a good game. He was kind of engaged and had fun. But overall, great young group of guys you know for five and six year olds they really listened well they were really enthusiastic they had a lot of fun and i think our whole season was kind of culminated in the fact that last play of the last game these two boys steal the ball and on our team so they could either one could could go in and score a goal and the boy that steals it instead of going in picks his head up and passes it to his teammate who can then go in and score a goal so that made me feel really good it made me feel like hey you know, these boys were listening. They got a lot out of the season. They learned how to play the game the right way. And that's something that I always try and press upon my kids is being a good sportsman, um, you know, sharing in the wealth a little bit, you know, when things are going good, making sure that you spread the love around a little bit, let all the, the other boys score. And, you know, when things are down, trying to pick your teammates up. So good season. Good season. Feel like uh, I, I did a, a fair enough job coaching them this year. Hopefully uh, the parents and the kiddos agree with that and be hanging up the coach's whistle here for the foreseeable future. So it'll be nice to have a couple months off and just relax. Cade's going to play some basketball in the winter, but there's no coaching commitment from me on that regard. So we'll see how it goes. I'm excited to see what he does in the future. So soccer's done. Awesome night Saturday night. We went Jess and I to see the amazing Bob Seger. And I'm a huge classic rock fan just as a whole, pretty eclectic in my musical taste. If we're being honest here, I listen to everything, but grew up listening to a lot of classic rock and Bob Seger is one of my all time favorites. So when I heard that this is like his farewell tour, I told her like, there's no way I'm going to miss this. There's certain artists that I would have loved to have seen, you know, like Led Zeppelin would have loved to have seen them. Um, obviously somebody like Jimi Hendrix would have been amazing. Tom Petty, another one, amazing, amazing artist passed away far too early. So there's a lot of artists now that are people I'm huge fans of that are, that have passed away or they're no longer playing together. So wanted to see him and man, it was so worth it. This guy just crushed for two hours and you see him and he comes out and, you know, you've seen the old pictures of him and he's got like the full beard and the long hair and, you know, his hair is still kind of long, but. Man, a lot of gray, a lot of gray. Dude's 74, but man, he was just amazing. He sounded so good. He had so much energy. You know, you'd have to sit down every now and then, but I just kept thinking to myself, number one, I hope I look this good at 74, and I hope I've got this much energy when I'm 74. So amazing concert, absolutely amazing time. Sunday, Cade's birthday party. So the big man turns six tomorrow. Very excited about that, but he had his party the other day at an indoor bounce house, trampoline park, him and five of his besties. So they just went like crazy people for about 90 minutes, jumping around that place. They're all red faced, and came home, had cake, let them play. What are they called? Beyblades. You've got little boys, Beyblades are these like little battling spinner top things. So he's obsessed with those. So great party for him. 
And then actually today, if you guys have followed the meditation journey at all, so I've done Headspace pretty religiously for about the last two years. And I just felt like, okay, I'd like to find something deeper, a little bit a little bit more advanced. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you know, just something a little bit more. And so Glenn, when he was in town, talked about how he started transcendental meditation. So I actually started that today. And if you've ever gone through this process, it's like four consecutive days of 90 minute meetings. <laughs> so it's a pretty big time commitment up front, but started that today. And I will definitely keep you abreast of that journey. So that is the week that was. Content train continues to roll. Got the bodybuilding.com article that hopefully you checked out. If not, I'll put a link to uh, the article in the show notes video this week. But really what I want to focus on is this past Sunday, 1 million downloads. Man, I was so geeked out to see that. It's, It's almost surreal because, yeah, okay, it's taken me like 200 episodes to get there. I'm not Tim Ferriss. I'm not getting a million downloads the first six weeks. I'm not Joe Rogan. But to think about the scope that that has hopefully had on our industry, like a million downloads, nothing to scoff at. So pretty jazzed up, but most importantly, just super grateful for the people like you that listen to the show on a regular basis. Hopefully you're getting something out of, you know, not only the content, but just getting a little bit away from, sometimes it's just me brain dumping on you guys and giving you guys some thoughts, whether it's, you know, what's going on, kind of just that operating system that I try and live my life by. Hopefully you guys have picked up some things along the way, but just super grateful for people like you that listen and hopefully it's making a positive impact on your life and on your coaching. So as far as the upcoming week, continuing the TM training, that's going to be like the next three days, pretty hardcore. Cade's birthday, super excited for that guy. And then right around the corner, we got fall break. So kids are are pretty excited, <laughs> kind of tired, just been running pretty hot here the last couple of weeks between sports and sleepovers and everything else. So they're jazzed and ready for a little week off. And we're going to finish that week with a short trip to Cincinnati. So more details to, to come on that. But I have a deep thought for you today, and maybe it's not so deep, but you know, I'd like to think for the most part, I always look at things with this optimistic glass is half full type of approach. But something happened today, and I'll be honest, my friend, it it really freaking pissed me off. So I'm gonna explain what pissed me off so bad, and then we're gonna just talk about, you know, why it's so important to be honest and transparent. So here's what got me all in a tizzy this afternoon. When I launched the complete coach certification, right? There's the insiders list. And if you're on that, you get a discount. And, you know, so we go through the whole process. And then at the end, there's a handful of people that I know are interested in the product, but, you know, maybe they're just not quite ready to make that investment or they're interested in it, but they don't know if it's going to be worth the investment. Right. And I totally get it. Right. If you're going to shell out six, eight hundred, a thousand dollars, For a product, it better be worth it, right? And I'd like to think this product is worth it. Now, that is my bias. Obviously, I have a right to be biased because I spent a lot of time and effort on it. But at the end of this time, what I offered up was a $1 trial, all right? And it's for the person that says, man, I think this is going to be okay. I really am interested in it. I think I want to buy it, but I need to see it first, right? And I know full well that there are going to be people that go in and take advantage of that 
right? Maybe they're on for a week and then they want to cancel. I get it, right? I get it. I understand what I'm doing there. But I got this email today and I hope there's a a small part of me that hopes this person isn't listening because I hate like shaming somebody. But at the same time, I hope they do listen and they understand how upset this made me. So here's what happened. This person writes me an email today or yesterday and says, hey, I absolutely loved this product. I took so much away from it. Do I need to do anything if I want to cancel? And I was kind of confused. She made it sound like she loved the product and she didn't want to cancel. So I write her back and I say, no, you know, if you like the product, absolutely don't do anything. You'll go into our payment plan and you'll be all set. And she's like, okay, well, what if I do want to cancel? (laughs) At, At which point I write back, okay, so I'm confused now. So you love the product, but you want to cancel the product. And she writes back, and this is the part that really made me upset. She says, yeah, I'd already invested in two other certifications this year. So she claimed she'd already spent her money on the other certifications. And she knew she couldn't pay for this. She knew she couldn't afford it, but she wanted to go in and her exact words were, I wanted to watch as many videos and learn as much as I can before the trial ended. Now look, that that pissed me off. And, and here's why, right? Because I'd like to think of myself as an honest and transparent person. If you look at our old contract at iFast, I absolutely hated it. The back is like four point font. Nobody can read it. Even if they do read it, it just looks sketchy. It looks like we're trying to hide something. So I'm actually sitting down with a lawyer and I'm going through our contract and literally it's eight bullet points or 10 bullet points. And it's like, this is the terms of the contract. It's in 12 point font. Any person could read it, sign it and feel comfortable about what they're signing because that's how I want to be. I want to be honest. I want to be transparent. I want to set a clear expectation. So I think the reason this made me so upset was because I put a lot of faith into human beings in general. And, you know, I assume that if you're going to do the trial, you're going to give it an honest effort. Like you have an honest expectation that if this is good, I will buy it. So it made me so upset because this person admitted they loved the product. They took a ton away from it. But most importantly, they didn't go through the trial in good faith. They just said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay for it. I don't want to pay for it, but I'm going to take as much information as I can away from it. I'm going to watch all those videos and then I'm going to cancel. So I hope I don't sound like sour grapes here because, well, you know, I, I sound like sour grapes. Let's be real. I sound upset and I should because I think that was a poor judgment call on her part. But but here's the takeaway from that, right? I feel like the only times I've ever gotten myself in trouble in life, and it happened mostly when I was younger, were times when I wasn't honest and transparent with the person across from me or when I didn't set a clear expectation of what I what I wanted from them or what I needed for them. So that would be my challenge to you. You know, I think the more honest and transparent you can be, and granted, you have to be cognizant of somebody's feelings and you have to show empathy. Sometimes the super direct approach isn't the best way to handle it, but it's far better to be honest and transparent and set a clear expectation because then at least there's nothing wishy-washy on the back end. So I'm unsure of how I'm going to handle that going forward. Obviously, the way I run my business, 
she's going to get a refund. You know, well, there's no refund, but I'm going to cancel her subscription. She's not going to have to pay for anything. But yeah, that kind of frustrated me a little bit. And so I would just challenge you. And I, I would assume you're listening to this show. That's not the type of person you are, right? You're going to be honest. You're going to be transparent. You're going to do well by others. And, and I think that's just, it's such a, an important thing. It's so easy to be jaded nowadays or to assume everybody's got it out for you. And I don't think that at all, because I know a lot of people have gone through that trial. They love the product. They're going to go through, they're going to do the payments and they're going to get a great product out of it. And not just now, but in the future, because, you know, if you think the product is great now, like I'm only going to continue to add and build onto it in the years to come. So it's going to evolve, but that's my, my piece for you this week. And again, not to sound bitter or angry, but just to show you, look, sometimes those people are out there. It sucks. So do your best. Go the opposite way. Like, Just be the better person. Be honest. Be transparent. Set clear expectations because it'll make everything that you do in life that much better. So quick break, and then we will jump into this awesome show with Ian. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now. And I can tell you, it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders. And every one of them raves about how great Momentous protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentous is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentus.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentus Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Ian Kadish enters his first season as the Minnesota Twins Strength and Conditioning Director after spending 2018 as their minor league strength and conditioning coordinator. Prior to joining the Twins, he was a minor league strength coach for two seasons in the Miami Marlins organization. Before working for the Marlins, Kadish served as an intern for the Ohio State Football Strength and Conditioning Program. The 2011 Marshall University graduate played four seasons of professional baseball, three of which were in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Ian and his wife, Emily, and their two children reside in Fort Myers, Florida. In this show, Ian and I talk about the baseball offseason that kickstarted his coaching career, why he's such a big believer in chasing physical versus purely mechanical solutions to problems, and the three critical elements he includes in his arm care programs. This was a really fun show, and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Ian, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so like you said, my name is Ian Kadish. I'm the director of strength conditioning for the Minnesota Twins. 
and a dad of two. So okay. uh, two big jobs. Yeah. Yeah. The second one is probably more uh, intense than the first, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a full-time job in itself. And, and so thankfully, I, my wife can hold that one down for us while, you know, during the baseball season. Absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit more about what led you to the world of physical preparation or how did you get started doing this? So I was always drawn to the weight room, you know, during my youth, you know, I played a variety of sports, you know, football, soccer, basketball, baseball, was clearly better at baseball than the others, you know, so started to pursue that a little more later in, you know, high school, junior, senior year, you know, and, and really didn't see, you know, my performance take off or, you know, blossom as, as well as I had hoped for until, you know, I started, you know, working on like my physical development, you know, and then through college was extremely close with the strength coach at Marshall University there, you know, and then, you know, I got the chance to play professionally for a few years with the Toronto Blue Jays and, and just kind of gravitated towards all of their coaches and found myself spending more time in the weight room than, than anywhere else. And, and, you know, and thinking about that aspect more than anything else. And, you know, my college strength coach at the time kind of put it in my ear like, hey, you know, you could do this when you're done playing. And I didn't really know anything about it until then. And so, you know, then kind of, you know, baseball either either tells you when to quit or, you know, not many people know, not, not many people can go out on their own terms, right? right? So, you know, I was one of those that, you know, baseball kind of told me like my end was coming and, and you know, I'd reached the top of, you know, where I could go. So I started thinking about, okay, like what's plan B and then going from there. And so, you know, I uh, relied heavily on the people close to me and, and, you know, talked with them a lot about what the next step was. And, and you know, like I didn't know kind of what to do after or really how to get into it. So luckily they were a huge help in, in pointing me in the right direction. And, you know, and here we are. I love it, man. So talk to me about that off season where you basically decided, I think I read an article and it just said, you know, you went to go kind of start the routine and just like, dude, I don't want to pick this baseball up. I don't want to throw anymore. So talk to me about that and how that, how you take it from there and then get into coaching. Like what was that kind of progression? Yeah. Like? So that was in 2014, you know, and, and so actually if I backtrack a little bit more in, in, Spring training of 2014 when I was with Toronto, you know, I got released at the end of spring training and was really like caught in the middle of, of what I wanted to do. You know, did I mm -hmm. want to keep playing? Did I want to move on? You know, I was old for the level I was at the previous year, you know, and, and so then I started looking into like, okay, which internships are available around that time of year, you know, and, and a lot of the internships had either already started or they're already booked, you know, so I said, you know what, I'm going to play one more year of independent league baseball and, you know, just see where it takes me and see what happens. And then, yeah. you know, if nothing comes of it, you know, I gave it one last shot and, you know, I'll move on in the winter. And so, you know, independently baseball was another beast in itself, you know, going all over the country, typically on your own dime, on your own travel, you know. And so it was one of the more stressful years that I had while I was playing, you know, and I was just more mentally worn out and mentally fatigued by the time September came around, you know, and I was more or less just burnt out of it, you know, and, you know, I thought it like, like I said, I thought it was just, you know, one of those things where it's like, it's been a hard year, you know, dealt with a lot of up and downs, you know, let me get a couple months away and then I'll get right back into it and, and, you know, start throwing and all that good stuff and to prepare for the next season. 
So I went about like my training the same as I always would in the winter and, you know, started throwing, you know, December 1st. That was really the day that I'd start throwing every year. And that first day I went to pick up a baseball and I was like, I have literally have no desire <laughs> to throw this baseball. And I remember coming home and talking with my parents about it and, and they're like, look, like you essentially need to make a decision. And so I remember like vividly to this day, I sat down at the kitchen table and I opened my computer and I applied to every single internship I could find on the internet and, and you know, college, private facility all over the country. Like I was yeah. willing to do anything. And I kind of just made the decision that day. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she was actually doing her clinicals for physical therapy in Florida. So this was all news to her as well. <laughs> you know, so it's like everything got thrown up in the air in a matter of less than 12 hours. Like, all right, sure. like, this is what we're doing. We're doing it. You know, and I was lucky enough to be able to go to Ohio State and do an internship with their football program and coach Marathi there and, nice. um, you know, start my path down that journey. That's awesome, man. That's so awesome. And like you said, it's like, I could only imagine going to my wife and being like, surprise, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm done and I'm going to go yeah. do something else now. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like it's, that's hard. I, I think yeah. like that's a lot of people don't take that in consideration. It's like some of these guys, like when they get released or when their careers are over. And, and I think you could probably say it like for any sport, really, it's like there is like this more or less like this phase of depression where it's like, okay, like what do I do with my life? You yeah. know? And it's like, not many people talk about that. Not many people, you know, are well versed to be able to talk about that. And, and it leaves a lot of people kind of like their lives up in limbo. And like, it's, it was a real like, wow, like, okay, like, like I gotta get myself together. Cause right. like, you know, like life goes on, Yeah, you know? So that was like a real, real challenge at the time. And, you know, it just, it helps me appreciate what some of these guys go through, you know, when that time does come, because like I said, at some point or another, it's going to come and hopefully you can go on your own terms, but more often than not, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's true. So talk to me, talk to me from that point, you get this internship at Ohio State. What does your career path look like from there? Because I mean, you're already non-traditional, right? How long yeah, did you play yeah. professionally? Four years. Okay. Four so, years. you know, when are you taking, like, when, what age are you starting your internship? So I didn't start my internship until I was 27. Right. So you're already non-traditional, right? You start an internship yeah. at 27. Now walk me from there to where you're at today. Yeah. So I started this internship at 27 and I was doing, you know, an internship at Iowa State with a, with some guys that were in undergrad and, you know, guys that were in their senior year of college. So, <laughs> you know, like I, I was clearly the old one there, you know, but, you know, I, I think kind of what helped me there was, you know, I was willing to to work long hours. I was willing to work, you know, day to day and, and you know, just put my work hat on and, and go to work every day and do whatever was asked. You know, so I was at Ohio State for a little under a year, you know, and then my girlfriend at the time and I found out we were pregnant. Um, nice. That's exciting. You know, so that, yeah. That was like completely unplanned. Right. So right. that's when life got real again. And it's <laughs> like, okay, like we're going to bring another human into this world and, and, you know, I'm making nothing. She's still, you know, in her last clinical for physical therapy. So she's essentially making nothing. So it's like, okay, like, what do we do? Right. And so I, I started applying for literally any job and every job possible. You know, I didn't have like many connections at the time. I didn't know many people. I was still, you know, young in the industry. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and was lucky enough to be able to take a private facility job down in Florida where my wife was doing her clinicals for the off season, baseball off season. So yeah. 
it gave me some, you know, experience working with baseball players. You know, it, it gave me a, a small source of income for us. Yep. You know, and I had planned on, you know, trying to catch on with a major league team when those jobs opened up. But at the time, it was, you know, July and they're in the middle of the season. Right. Nobody's hiring months. in July. Right. Exactly. So that was, again, like a tough time. It's like, okay, I just need something to hold us over. So I went to that private facility just for that off season, and then was lucky enough to catch on with the Miami Marlins for the season of 2016 as their high A coach. And yeah. then spent 2017 as like their GCL slash rehab coach at the complex all year round. And then in 2018, came to the Twins as the minor league coordinator. And now 2019, here I am. That's quite the progression, my guy. I mean, you definitely don't sit still, do you? <laughs> yeah, that's something I don't sit still. So, you know, it feels like we're always on the move. And, and you know, it, it, my wife's definitely wanted to pull her hair out of time. <laughs> she had the baby or she had her first son, Knox, in Sarasota, you know, before I was with the Marlins. And he was born in November, and, and when he was six weeks old, I'm like, hey, like we're moving to the other coast of Florida for this job. So it's like we picked up and moved. And right. then, you know, with our second one, she's seven months now. She was born in, during spring training of this year, and it's like, hey, you know, in four weeks, we're going to Minnesota. And so Yeah, that's like, awesome. <laughs> we are always on the move. And, uh, you know, but it, it's, it's fun. It is a lot of fun to, you know, to see all these different places and be able to travel and all that stuff. That's awesome, man. So as a coach, we all have our core philosophy or our core beliefs. So yeah. I would love to know what are your big rocks when it comes to training and developing your baseball players? Yeah. So I think the first thing that, you know, I, I, I think is the most important is like movement capacity, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, baseball is a very skill oriented sport, you know, so if you don't have the movement capacity you know, that the game demands, it's going to be very hard to succeed. You know, and, and what that is, like, it's probably going to depend on the person. I think there's one, you know, cookie cutter type, you know, like range of motion or, or movement or, or whatever that you can say, like, this is it. I think it's just, it's going to depend on the person. Yeah. You know, so I think that's probably like the big, you know, aspect that we look at the most. And then, you know, from there, it's like, okay, What's your moving capacity? What's your work capacity? And then, you know, what's your foundational strength? And, and you know, I, I think if we address all of those three, you know, it opens up the possibilities for a lot of other things. And, you know, but I, I think if you don't have the work capacity to be able to stand the demands of the game, you know, you're not going to recover. You're going to get injured. You're going to be more susceptible to injury, excuse me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, foundational strength can go a long way in helping display their innate skill which is you know their on-field performance yeah so i would say those are the probably the biggest three that we focus on and and movement being the first yeah for sure you know it's interesting because i feel like i don't hear a lot of baseball strength and conditioning coaches mention work capacity and it's something that i feel like again the and my sample size is very small right compared to a guy like you or eric but you know, I'd like to think we've had a fair modicum or a fair amount of success with the baseball players we've had. And I've always tried to work that into their program because I just felt like, look, right. I don't want like just a slub, you know, and again, maybe this is just my model, but like I want a fitter guy because that person is going to recover faster. They're going to be able to get more skill specific work in. So, I mean, is that kind of your thinking as well? Or what do you how do you describe work capacity and where do you see the payoff being for your athletes? Yeah, for sure. I, I agree 100%. And I, I think like, 
you know, for whatever reason, a lot of people want to talk about like workload and, and you know, within the sport. And, and, I, and I think like, you know, I don't know, I'm not completely sold on the workload thought yet because I feel like if you have a better work capacity, like you should be able to withstand a, a higher workload. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and so, you know, I, I definitely think like the acute chronic workload is definitely like I absolutely see the value in that. But I think like if you want to be able to push the envelope a little bit, you know, if we can develop a, a robust work capacity, you know, like you said, it's going to help people recover. It's going to help them, you know, be, you know, just perform better over the course of the season. You know, baseball is a very long season. It's, we've played 162 games so far. You know, we're getting to play at least three more, you know, hopefully, yeah. you know, we go until the end of October here, you know, so, you know, every game also lasts upwards of three hours. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a very intensive game. And, and, and I just think like work capacity is, you know, very underutilized and undervalued a lot of times. And, you know, what we found is we can actually give our guys a lot more volume than we actually guessed. Yeah. And we assumed and guys have responded really, really well to it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in our emails, we kind of went back and forth before we did the show. And something you told me you were passionate about was finding physical versus mechanical solutions to problems. So I would love it if you could just elaborate on that thought a little bit more for me. Yeah. So I think, you know, and I, and I can't speak for other sports. I can just speak for what I've witnessed and been a part of and seen in baseball. But I would imagine that it, it potentially could be similar in other sports. And, and I think, you know, basically, like I said, baseball is a very skill oriented sport. And, you know, there's, there's a mechanical aspect to pitching mechanics or hitting mechanics or throwing mechanics or, you know, running mechanics or what have you. And I think oftentimes as an industry, and when I say industry, I mean, like as a baseball community, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to implement these mechanical solutions of, you know, like, look, your stride needs to be longer, or, you know, you need to have this leg kick in your swing or, you know, you got to get your arm or, what, you know, whatever these cues are kind of haphazardly without really looking at their physical limitations and their movement capacity. Right. And, right. and you know, I, I think that's in a disservice to the athlete because guess what? Like no matter how hard the athlete wants to lengthen their stride and their pitching delivery, if they physically can't, Yes. You're going to be like banging your head on a cinder block wall, right? <laughs> and then and then what happens? Like then the, you just write the athlete off and deem him uncoachable when it's like, wait, like he's trying his damnedest and he just doesn't he physically can't do that. Yep. And so I think, you know, like as a baseball community, we need to be a lot better at looking at a movement assessment and looking at what their physical limitations are before implementing these mechanical solutions. You know, and, and I think at the end of the day, it'll actually make our jobs easier in the long run because we won't just be throwing anything at the wall and seeing what sticks. We'll actually have, you know, a, a plan of action that we can put into place, you know, and, and see kind of, okay, this is what, this is the low hanging fruit. You know, he's got limited hip mobility. Let's attack this before, before we try to lengthen a stride or, yes. you know, and, and I just think that's as far as like player development goes, I just think that is, you know, a, a much better bang for our buck and a better way to look at it than just to be so quick to change these mechanical solutions to these athletes. Yeah. It, it's funny because you see this 
maybe not to the same degree, but in other sports, there is this like quote unquote perfect model of movement, right? Right. That they expect everybody to to go through. And it's like, man, that's fine. And, and if you have that representation in your brain, that's fine of maybe how it is supposed to look or how it should look. But individual techniques always vary. And right. I think that's one thing that, you know, after a while, you just start to appreciate the fact that, man, every athlete you work with is doing the best with what they've got. And it's your job to figure out, okay, well, if they're not fitting the model, what do I need to do? Or do I need to alter the model based on this person's unique, you know, whether it's body posture, whether it's their body, their limb length, their strength, whatever, like you have to figure out, hey, what is going to make this person most successful versus trying to make everybody rigidly adhere to some quote unquote perfect model. Right, right. And that's the thing is like, like, I mean, I, I know being a foreign pitcher, you know, there are several pitching coaches that I worked with, you know, that, that would say like, man, like you got, they give the old cue, like you got to get on top of the ball. Well, it's like, do we know what kind of like scap upper rotation I have? Do we know what kind of overhead flexion I have? Like, do I even have the ability to get overhead? Like, yes. You know, like, <laughs> I, I think all of that, all of those questions need to be answered before you just throw out these solutions to, and, and mechanical changes or like every, we all know like every athlete is trying their hardest. It's yes. Not, like, right. Like every athlete wants to succeed. It's not like there's like, Oh, like I, I want to fail. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think any athlete is ever going to be thinking that way. Right. So it's like, you know, as coaches, we just need to do a better job of, of looking at physical limitations in their movement assessment before we just start implementing these mechanical changes. I love it. So this is kind of a big question, but what do you view as your primary role as a, whatever you classify yourself as a strength coach or physical preparation coach? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good one. I, I think, you know, my primary role is to be a resource for the athletes, mm. you know, and, and be a resource for the coaches around me, you know, both skill coaches and, you know, sports med and sports performance and, and, and all of us. You know, I, I think, you know, we can definitely learn from the on-field staff and, you know, we can learn from the sports med side. We can we can learn from one another and, and we can learn from the players as well. You know, so I, I think my biggest role is to be a resource and, you know, be able to help provide whoever it is with with whatever they need. And, and if I don't have those answers, hopefully I can point them in the right direction to somebody that does. You know, and, and I think, you know, what I always say is, like, we provide a service to the athlete, right? And, you know, for some athletes, that service is a little different than others. Some of the athletes, it's a little more intensive than others. But if we can be a resource and, and provide the service that's needed, in whatever way that's needed. I, I think that's ultimately the, the role that we play hmm. um, in what we do. I, I love that answer. And I guess I've never really thought of it like that because I think often as coaches and rightfully so, we think of ourselves as player centric, right? Mm -hmm. We're there to serve the players. And I always think of myself as a support staff member to some mm -hmm. degree, right? I'm not the skill guy. I'm not their head coach, whatever. But I love that idea of being a resource for the coaches as well. And again, I'm not in the, the team setting like you are, but I love that idea of, hey, man, like, look, we're here to serve the athletes, but we can also be a good conduit between the athletes and the coaches as well and maybe help get everybody on the same page. So I really like that answer. Right. And I think, like, at least in baseball, what you're seeing a lot more of is like a lot more hitting coaches are having an understanding of the weight room and a lot more pitching coaches are having an understanding of the weight room, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but at the end of the day, like, we're still the experts in that space. Whereas they're the experts in their space. So it's like, okay, like let's, 
let's bridge this gap a little bit and like yep. teach me about pitching, teach me about hitting, and let me let me teach you about what we do and and being able to have that open dialogue and that open conversation and that ongoing conversation, you know, like that's that's a powerful thing and I, and I and I think like you know that's how you grow and that's how you, that's how you develop you know like the same vision the same messaging and and you know if the messaging is the same to the athlete it makes everybody's jobs a lot easier and, and you know as far as trust and, and from the athlete and you know like we can absolutely be resources to to other staff members as well and 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 even like within our own staff too you know there yep. there are you know you've been doing this way longer than i have and, and you know there are people that you know, I've been in this longer than us and like we can use those people as resources. And, and you know, yeah. and on my staff specifically, you know, I have some coaches that are in their first full year, you know, as a full time coach. And I also have some coaches that are in their 10th year as a coach. And it's like they can be resources to one another. You know, yeah. like the young coach can be a resource to the older coach because, you know, he's probably going to be more up to date with the lingo of of today's athlete and today's generation and how to communicate with them. And the older coach can be a resource, the younger coach of like teaching him, you know, what he's learned over the course of 10 years and, and right. from his knowledge. And, and, you know, so I think it goes back and forth and, and I don't think one person is above another. I think it's more so like, let's, let's learn from one another and, and let's appreciate each other's knowledge, experience and backgrounds in order to, to have this all encompassing staff and, and unity and messaging. Yeah. I love it, man. So, this is sort of a follow-up, but sort of off on a tangent just a little bit. Did your or does your role change as you change levels? And what I mean by that is when you're in the minors versus the majors, does what you do on a day-to-day basis or does your role within the team change as you've changed levels? Yeah, I, I like this question a lot. I think, you know, the traditional thought process in baseball is you know, as you progress levels, it becomes harder, mm-hmm. which I don't necessarily agree with. I think at the end of the day, our job is still the same, right? Like I'm still assessing, I'm still programming, I'm still coaching on the floor, just like the strength coach in our GCL affiliate is, mm-hmm. right? And, and But what I think is different is the relationships that are needed at each level, right? Yeah. I, 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 at the major league level, typically have a more mature athlete than you know the GCL or the Dominican League. Yep. You know, so the way I talk to that athlete is going to differ, and the way I develop that relationship is going to differ. But the job at the end of the day is the same. Hmm. You know, okay. we're still coaching, we're still coaching on the floor, we're still programming, we're still assessing, but how you communicate probably changes depending on the athlete. You know, and and, and it's probably changes you know, within that level, you know, yeah. I have some very young athletes at the major league level still, and I have some athletes that are several years older than I am. And just the way you communicate and the way you talk to them and the way you, you build that relationship with them is going to differ. And, and so I, I think that's like the biggest difference per level. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a good communicator and you're personable and you're outgoing, it, it's easy, right? Yeah. I think, you know, like if your soft skills are, are strong. That's, that's, that's the easy part. Um, but you know, programming and assessing and coaching doesn't change. Some of the cues you give might, but at the end of the day, it's still the same job regardless of where you are. Hmm. That's interesting. And one, one more question, because you just made this comment. Is it ever difficult 
to be critical or to coach an athlete that's older than you? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it'd be very easy for the athlete to say, like, look, I've been doing this for longer than you've been alive. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, uh, that'd be very easy for them to say that. And, you know, so I, I think the way I communicate is even more important in that aspect. You know, and, and what I found myself doing is explaining the why more often than not, right? Like explaining the why until I'm blue in the face, you know, and, and trying to relate it like, okay, this is, we're doing this because this is how it's going to affect your on field performance. Or yeah. I really think we should do this because this is how it's going to help your swing. And, and I think once they can see that relationship and they can, they can marry the, the weight room and the on field together and see how it's going to help benefit them. It makes it a lot easier, but you know, like before you do that, it, you know, I can't just come in and say, Oh, like what you've been doing for the last 10 years while you've been in the big leagues doesn't work. Just throw it all out. I think, right. right. Like that's not the right approach. Right. And so, it, you know, what I've focused on is, is trying to develop a relationship first and foremost and, you know, showing them that I care and I want to get to know them and I want the best for them. And, and and then going from there and, and seeing how, like I said, I can be a resource to them and how I can help them. You know, some guys, you know, are 38, 39 years old and they're still healthy and they're still doing it and they're still thriving at a very, very high level. And it's like, look, I'm not going to touch you. Just let me know if you ever need it. <laughs> right. right. So it's like, whereas like we have some, a 20 year old, 21 year old who, you know, he's been in our organization for a while and, you know, he needs a lot more help. And, you know, so I think it's just, coming down to like developing that relationship with the older athlete and, and being able to communicate the why behind everything. I love it. So one thing that every baseball coach and player loves to talk about, I feel like is arm care. So what are your thoughts on arm care and where does it fit into your all around program? Yeah. So I think this is, I think this is getting more publicity in the last couple of years for sure, you know, in part because of all the resources that are coming out, you know, like Eric's Sturdy Shoulder Solutions is yep. an awesome resource and, and I think highlights a lot of really, really good things when it comes to arm care, you know, but the way I look at arm care is, you know, I, I think if we're doing the traditional, you know, dumbbell exercises or high rep band work or, you know, like I, I just don't think that really has a carryover to throwing and, and pitching and, and you know, if you look at the pitching delivery, there are essentially three big areas that I concern myself with. And, and, and one, it's scap on rib of, you know, how, how is the scap upwardly rotating, you know, around that rib cage, you know, and then ball and socket of, you know, how well is the humerus moving within that joint? And then rhythmic stabilizations, you know, how strong is that posterior cuff to be able to stabilize the humeral head? You know, so those are the three big areas that I believe, you know, have the biggest carryover yep. and the biggest bang for our buck. And, and you know, and, and I think, you know, if we do the traditional dumbbell exercises, it just it opens us up to a lot of, of you know, potential cranky anterior shoulders, you know, that that impingement, if you will, because you're not getting much cuff activation. You're not getting much cuff work. You're getting more deltoid and trap and scaling and and, and what have you. And it's just it, it opens us up to a lot of that. And, and I think if we can avoid that as best as possible, that's you know that's, that's what we should be doing. You know, and so I think those three areas are are our main focus. And the way we build it into our programming is, you know, we use them as fillers essentially within our programming. Right. Um, you know, so if we're doing a deadlift or 
we're doing a front squat or whatever, you know, we'll have a either a ball and socket or a scap on a rib or or one of those arm care exercises paired with it, you know. And so, on any given day, we'll do two of the three, you know. So we'll touch all three on a weekly basis, and and, and I think rather than doing like this high volume, if we can if we can do it more regularly throughout the week yeah. um, in lower volumes, it'll it'll help you know the arm or the cuff you know be essentially ready when the time's needed. I got you. Um, you know, so we, we just mix it right into the program. And, and, you know, some guys don't even know it's arm care. They just do it. And <laughs> well, okay, what should I do for arm care? And then we have the conversations like, hey, like you've already done it. Like you don't need to do any extra arm care. And once they find that out, it's like kind of like you can see their mind to start racing a little bit. It's like, oh, like I didn't even realize I was doing that. Right. And so it, it's been really, really easy for us to kind of just roll that out and implement that within their training template um, yeah. on each day. That sounds, I had Eric on a couple weeks ago and it sounds very similar kind of how he plugs it in. But yeah. one thing I'm so happy to hear you talk about is scap on rib. I know like more and more people are talking about this, but my gosh, you know, I had a conversation a while back with a kid and, you know, they're still talking about a weak serratus and serratus activation exercises. I'm like, man, bro, this was like the discussion we were having <laughs> like 10, 15 years ago. Like, let me like get you up to speed on this. So I'm just yeah. so glad that you mentioned that. Because I feel like if you've got that, you've got a fighting shot, right? But if you don't right. have scap on rib, like good luck, man. There's going to be a lot of other stuff turning on to try and stabilize your shoulder and your cuff. For sure. Absolutely. And I, and I think a lot of it will come down to like what how they present during their assessment too, right? And, yep. and I also think like the argument could absolutely be made and I would make it for like all every exercise is arm care, right? Like just gripping yes. a deadlift is arm care, like right, like doing yeah. a dumbbell row is arm care. Doing a landmine press is arm care, you know. So I, I think it's not just these specific arm care exercises, but like these bigger lifts that everybody already knows. There's an aspect of arm care in that. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, just from like arm health, like scap on rib is extremely important, and and if you don't have the necessary scap upper rotation. You're going to be relying solely on that humeral head to get you overhead, and, mm. and, and it can create a lot of issues, as you know. And, you know, so, you know, that's a big emphasis for us. For sure. For sure. So as a young coach, I'm sure something that you're working on is building out your systems. So I'm really interested. What processes and systems are you working on, and how have they helped you become a better coach? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of, of systems and processes and, and, and having, you know, the correct systems and the right processes in place to help drive our decision making. You know, I think, you know, you can compare them to like standard operating procedures, you know, where it'll cover a majority of, of our day to day decisions, you know, but there will definitely be times where we need to, you know, operate outside of that, depending on the athlete's needs. You know, and, and I think, you know, in baseball, we have, you know, upwards of 250 athletes in our organization. And, you know, if it was a free-for-all from programming to assessments to, you know, what exercises we use and, and how we coach them, you know, it, it's going to make not only the players', you know, lives very difficult, but it's going <laughs> to make the coaches' lives extremely difficult as well because it will always be changing. You know, so if I, I think if we can have, you know, a system in place that's scalable across the entire organization and an assessment process in place that's scalable across the entire organization – it allows for our messaging, you know, from whether it's a major league player or, you know, a, a low A minor league player or a Dominican player, 
It allows for our messaging to be unified in the same, you know, and, and, you know, we have the same assessment from the top down and, you know, we can compare assessments from month to month and from year to year. And, and, you know, it's not like, you know, one person's doing one assessment, one person's doing another, um, you know, we have a template that we go by, we have a system, you know, and, and I think that's, that's, you know, it's harder to, to grasp than, you know, people would give it credit for because, you know, it's, there's 12 of us, 12 coaches, you know, really all over the world. You know, we have two coaches in Dominican, you know, and then we have them all over the United States throughout the course of the season. You know, so I, I think if we can have the correct systems in place and and then the correct processes in place to help drive our decision-making, you know, the conversations will be better. The training will be better. You know, the player development will be better. You know, and, and we'll be able to be on the same page throughout the course of the year rather than, you know, have people all over the place and, you know, have this divide. You know, I, I think in, in baseball, a lot of times there's this divide between major league and minor league. Yep. And, you know, when somebody gets called up for the first time, it's life changing. Right. And, sure. and they have enough things going on to where it's like the last thing they want to worry about is what they're going to be doing in, in the weight room or, you know, right. Like, so I just think if we can have this unified message from the top all the way down and this unified system, you know, it, it benefits everybody, coaches and players alike. Yeah. And I think, again, even if you've never worked in a like pro sports team environment, it doesn't matter if you've ever worked in a team environment where you've got multiple people that are like doing similar jobs or they're trying, they're like co coexisting for lack of a better term. Like you said, you've got 12 coaches. I mean, just trying to keep everybody on the same page and kind of rowing in the same direction is hard enough. Right. Yeah. And it is, it's very hard. And it's also like the other thing that we try to keep in mind is like every coach is an individual and every coach, you know, has different interests. And it's like, how do we meet those interests? And, and at the end of the day, not everybody's going to get their way. You know, there are times that I don't get my way. There are times that other coaches don't get their way, but you know, if, if we can have this, this vision of where we want to go, you know, and, and allow our system and our process to guide us towards that vision, you know, we can we can make sure that we're staying towards that and, and on the right path at the end of the day, and and take everybody's input and, and insight and feedback into consideration, and and you know to make changes for the following year. And you know, we're very lucky that we have most of our staff down in Fort Myers at our spring training complex during the off season to where, you know, we can have, you know, a lot of con ed, we can do a lot of staff in services. We can do, you know, a lot of, you know, activities as a staff outside of, of work, you know, to help, you know, form that bond and that staff unity. And, and, you know, we, last year we were lucky enough, myself and two other coaches were there and, you know, just, just us three down there together last year was, it was it was one of the better off seasons I've ever had because you know we were with each other every day we got to know each other so much better yep. you know we spent time with each other away you know from the facility you know and and this year you know some of the other staff has decided to stay down in the area as well and I think all of us are really really looking forward to being together as a staff you know during the off season for more than four weeks at a time yeah you know so that I, I think you know, being able to refine our system and our process as a staff is, is extremely important. For sure. Isn't it amazing to like, sometimes I just come back to like how many times in our world, it's the simple answer, right? So in your case, you're like, oh man, just like hanging out and spending more time around each other. It made things so much better. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like so common sense, but you're like, oh yeah, 
Right. And I guess if I didn't just like go my separate ways every time, you know, yeah. work was over or whatever, and we just hung out outside of work, like how much better the relationship or the culture would be, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And I, and I think in baseball, right, so a lot of the coaches live all over the country during the offseason, and mm -hmm. they're only together for spring training, and spring training is controlled chaos in itself. And, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, everyone is gassed from, you know, long days. And it's like the last thing we want to do is, is sit down and do staff con ed or, yes. you know, you know, we just want to like get away and we want to have like this, this, this brain dump of, of just being able to relax. And, you know, I, I think if we can better understand one another as a staff, you know, during this off season where we can spend upwards of four or five months together, yep. you know, it's, it's going to go a long, long way in, in developing our system and developing our process and, and, and furthering, you know, our education as a staff and our unity as a staff, you know, because if they can better understand me and I can better understand them and, you know, we can we can appreciate each other more, you know, we'll we'll be on the same page and, and it'll just create a lot more opportunities for us as a staff. For sure. All right, my guy. So big question time. If you could alter the space time continuum and give young Ian Kadish one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Man, so if I were to give myself a piece of advice about training, it would be read a lot more. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I was actually very, very lucky where I was one of the few baseball players that I, I ne was never injured, never had surgery, you know, no scars, nothing. That's and, awesome. And, <laughs> You know, I would like to attribute that to, you know, how good my training was. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I wasn't training smart. Like I was not, I just, I didn't know nearly as, as much as I do now. And, you know, I wish I did, right. um, you know, and, and, you know, but I, I just, I just didn't know at the time. So I, I think if I could have read a lot more, that would have been a lot, it would have suited me a lot better. Yes. Um, you know, and as far as life, I think. You know, my wife and I have been through a lot, you know, you know, a lot of surprises and, you know, we've moved a lot and, you know, at times it's been very, very stressful. And, you know, I think I used to be the type of person where I wanted to know what was going to happen in advance. Right. And yep. I think that in life, that's just not possible. Yes. And, and so I, I think, you know, if if I could just go with the flow a little bit better, you know, that it would take a lot of a lot of stress out of my life. Yes. I think a lot of strength coaches fall into that. You know, we love to be able to plan and think ahead and prioritize and yeah, it just doesn't always work that way in life. Does it? <laughs> right. It rarely does it ever work like that. Right. right. All right, my guy. So last but not least, we've got our lightning round. I got four questions for you. Your answer can be as short or as long as you'd like. Okay. Okay. Perfect. All right. Number one, I'm really interested. What was your career highlight as an athlete? Because you were obviously, obviously pretty darn successful. What was the best day you ever had? Um, I think the best experience I had or the career highlight was being able to pitch in the Arizona Fall League. Um, okay. You know, I signed as a non-drafted free agent as a senior sign, you know, and, and just worked my tail off, yep. you know, and, and relied on that reputation of, you know, just being a workhorse and working harder than anybody and doing whatever it took. And, you know, I, I think Toronto's organization, you know, saw that and, and they appreciate that. And they gave me the opportunity to be able to go out to the fall league and, and be able to pitch and, and see how I could hold my own, you know, and 
during my playing career, you know, that was the the extent and that was the highest competition level I faced. And, and you know, it was a really, really awesome experience. And, and, you know, it was something that I'll never forget as a, you know, playing athlete. And, you know, and, and Toronto's organization was really, really good to me. And, and um, being able to play with all of those players out there was was unbelievable at the time. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, number two, big shift in emphasis here. Talk to me about being a dad, man. You got two yeah. kiddos. What's that like on a day-to-day basis? Well, right now it's easy because I'm not with them, right? <laughs> right? My wife is holding the fort down in Fort Myers, and luckily she's a rock star wife and a rock star mom and is able to, you know, to hold the fort down while I'm traveling for the seven months of the season. You know, but being a dad is... Honestly, in, it's the best job there is, right? Yep. I think, you know, thank God for FaceTime and, and being <laughs> yes. able to be see them on FaceTime every day. You know, my, my son's figuring out how to FaceTime himself and, and call himself without mom's help. And <laughs> his latest thing is he's into voice messages through text. Okay, um, yeah. So, like, being able to be woken up by a FaceTime call from him on his way to school and, you know, being able to see my daughter on FaceTime – um, you know, it's, it, it's the best feeling in the world. And, and, you know, it's, I can't wait to get back with them to be able to spend some months with them. But, you know, it, it's, it's a very, very gratifying thing. And it's yes. something I never, never fully grasped until it actually happened. Yes, it's, it's weird, because I think until you're like in the club, it doesn't <laughs> really yeah. totally register. But like, once you're there, like, okay, you're, you're a member now. You yeah. kind of get what this is all about, right? Yeah. And it's like my wife and I were scared. Like we were literally scared <laughs> when we found out she was pregnant the first time. Cause, and I remember like we were panicking and, and we just said like, Hey, like we're, we'll get through it. And like looking back on it now, my wife and I are like, what was wrong with us? Like, why were we ever like that? But right. cause it was like, it's so gratifying now. And, and we're so thankful to have, you know, two amazing kids and, and you know, it's almost like we were so selfish at that time, but yep. you know, it, it was just hard to be able to grasp that. Yep, for sure. Okay, number three, really interested. It's You're kind of in a moderate phase here, but what <laughs> happened to like the mega beard you had from a while back? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, it was long. It was, probably, it was down to my chest. You couldn't see my neck. Um, <laughs> my wife hated every aspect of it. Um, and... I, I always tell her, I hope she doesn't listen, but I, I always tell her, like, I shaved it for her because happy wife, happy life, right? Yes, that's <laughs> true. That's true. But in, in reality, it was just, it was getting too long and it was getting in the way and I tried fixing it myself and, and <laughs> butchered it and then I'm like, all right, well, like, it's, it's all got to come off now. So uh, I started all over in June, so I'm working on it now and we're getting there, but it's going to be a slow one this time. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Ian Kadish, man? What are you excited about? What's going on with you? Yeah. So the immediate future, I mean, you know, we're playing in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, starting, you know, versus the Yankees here tomorrow. You know, so that's, that's extremely exciting. That'll be, you know, an experience that will be awesome. And, you know, and hopefully we can keep winning and, you know, win the World Series and, and, and do it and, you know, so that's that's the immediate future. After the season, I'll go back down to Fort Myers and and join up with the rest of the staff, and we'll huddle up and and we'll start attacking year 2020 and seeing what we need to refine and change and make better and 
seeing how we can grow as a staff and, and, you know, push the envelope a little further. I love it. I love it. So one more, because I'm interested. What is your, like when you're done, how much time do you take off? I don't know. This is going to be the first time actually. Yeah. Last year, being in the, the minor league coordinator last year, I didn't take any time off in part because my family was with me most of the time. You know, I would travel to each affiliate, but you know, we just kind of rolled right into the off season, and that's what they're doing. You know, they just finished up their fall mini camps this week, and and, and they're rolling already down there. Man. You know, I need to I need to drive back from Minnesota, so I'm making the long trek from Minnesota all the way to Florida <laughs> after the season. You know, so I'm I'm thinking I'll probably take a couple days, you know, maybe a week or so to just spend time with the family and the kids yep. after. You know, I haven't seen them. I've seen them over the last seven months. I've seen them a total of 12 days. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I'll, I'll probably spend, you know, a week with them and, and and spend some time with them before going, starting to go back into the facility. But, yeah, it, it, that, this one will be a new one for me. Yeah, that's exciting, man. Well, Ian, you've been great to chat with. Really appreciate you taking the time, especially with everything you have going on right now. So where can my listeners find out more about you or what you're doing these days? Yeah, so I, I'm on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. My tags are iKadish Strength on both. I have Facebook, but I don't really get on it, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, but I'm more so on Twitter than anything. Okay. And then, you know, my emails are iankadish at twinsbaseball.com. I also have ianjkadish at gmail.com. I check both of them regularly, so... Um, it's, it's relatively easy to get in contact with me there too. Awesome, man. Well, again, I know you got a ton going on, busy time of year for you, but I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was great catching up. No, thanks again for having me. This, this was awesome. Really, really enjoyed it. All right, my friends, that does it for this week's show with Ian. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He's one of those guys that, uh, I'd interacted with a little bit offline before the show, but it was great to catch up with him, just learn a little bit more about his systems, how he's setting everything up, and he's a guy that I really look for big things from down the line. So as always, thank you for your support. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a solid here, share it on the gram, send it to a friend, colleague, baseball player, whoever you think might benefit from it, because anything you can do to help spread the word will definitely make an impact. So as always, thank you so much for your support. I love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.